reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we are looking in the book of 2nd chapter 3 and verse number 16. 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. We alluded to this verse on Wednesday night, but we're going to get into it in detail today. 2nd Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16. Paul writes and he says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For a little bit this morning I want to talk to you about the purpose of the word, the purpose of of the word. Father, we thank you for the word of a living God. Father, thank you that you did not just save us and say, hey, good luck, do the best you can. But I'm thankful, Lord, that you gave us a roadmap for living, a manual to live our lives by. And Father, I just pray today that you will anoint and empower us today by your Holy Spirit to deliver the word that you have uh, placed upon our heart. God, help us to leave here today not only hearing the word of God, but may we heed the word that we receive today. We ask in the precious and most powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. And you may be reseated this morning. Let me tell you this morning that New Bethel has been, is, and will continue to be a word church. Now, we will make room for a lot of different things in our church. And we know that we're living in a day and in a, in a time when uh, they are substituting a, a lot of things for the preaching of the Word of God. We will not substitute. There will be other things that we will do. There will be things that we will implement. But let me tell you the, that Bethel, New Bethel, has been, is, and will continue to be a place where the Word of God is preached. You see, if people would simply hear the word and then heed the word, their lives would be much better. Let me save you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on the couch of a psychiatrist today. And that is if you'll simply come in here on Sunday morning, if you'll only connect to a class on Sunday night, if you'll only come back on Wednesday night, and if you will hear the word of God that is preached and the word of God that is taught, and then you will take the word that you have received and apply it to your life, your life will be an incredibly, uh, incredibly much, much better. You see, most of our problems in life come about because of our ignorance of the Word of God or our failure to implement the Word of God that we have received. Do you understand that the Word of God is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to man? And most of the heartache and most of the pain and most of the trouble and most of the distress that man faces could be avoided if only he lived his life according to the Word of God. Every time you sit in these chairs, whether Sunday or Wednesday night, you are receiving godly counsel. Every time that you open the Word of God and read it, you are receiving godly counsel and wisdom. Let me share with you this morning five purposes for the Word. Five purposes for the Word. The first purpose is inspiration. Inspiration. Our text said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
Whether you are having your daily devotions or you are sitting in church listening to a lesson or listening to a sermon, friend, the Word of God is meant to be inspiring. Pastor, why do you foam at the mouth when you preach? (laughs) Why do you get in so intense? Why do you get all worked up? Friend, I do it because the Word of God inspires me. I am passionate about the Word of the living God. John Wesley said to his ministerial students, he said, set yourself on fire with enthusiasm and people will come out and watch you burn. (laughs) Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 and 9, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. God give us some preachers today that have some preach in them. I'm amazed at some of our younger beginner preachers today. Ask them to preach and they hum-haw around and need two, three, four weeks to prepare. Let me tell you, when I was a rookie preacher just getting started, I sat on the edge of my seat just waiting for somebody to ask me to preach. I sat there thinking, why don't the pastor ask me to preach? Why don't he give me an opportunity? I'm ready to get up and deliver the word of God. Oh, I would have preached at the drop of a hat. I, I guarantee you I had more zeal than I had substance. But I had a passion in my heart for the word of God. God, give us a man of God today that is still willing to stand up and declare, thus saith the word of God. Amen. Jeremiah 10 and 21, the shepherds have become dull hearted. And have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper. And all their flocks shall be scattered. Pastor you wonder why your your sheep are scattering. You wonder why. Amen. That your church is going down. You wonder why you can't gather a crowd. Amen. You wonder why everybody yawns. You wonder why you can't get anything going on. It's because you have become dull hearted. Oh the worst thing in the world. Is to sit under somebody that is dull hearted. Two men from different churches were comparing their pastors, talking about their pastor one day. And one man said about his pastor, I'm just so tired of our pastor. All we ever get is ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, dong. The other fellow said, oh, you think that's bad. All we ever get at our church is ding, ding, ding. He said, it'd be nice if you'd throw in dong every once in a while. Let me tell you something this morning. If your shepherd ever gets dull-hearted, buy him a $1,000 gift certificate to the local U-Haul. Amen. Tar him and feather him and run him out of town. Amen. God, give us a man of God that will lock himself up. Amen. God, give us a man of God that will get on his knees before God and get a word from God. And he'll stand on Sunday morning with passion. He'll stand on Sunday morning with something burning on the inside of him. I'm giving you permission this morning that if the fire ever burns out in my heart, amen, drop, kick me out of here and get somebody in here that's got a little passion and a little enthusiasm. Amen. Jesus said in John 6 and 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words Jesus said that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Oh, the purpose of the word of God is to inspire. And friend, when the man of God is anointed by the spirit of God, life-giving words come out of his mouth. 
Oh, you can walk in here all down and depressed and defeated, all beat up by the world, put down by society, feeling lower than a snake, feeling like somebody has just pulled you through a keyhole. But I'm telling you, you can get in here and get into the presence of God through praise and worship. Amen. You can prepare your heart to hear the word of God. The man of God that's been his week in preparation for his time to speak can stand and declare, thus saith the Lord, and trim the word of God delivered under the anointing of God can lift your spirits can pull you up out of the muck and the mire that you in. And you can leave here changed for the glory of God. Give the Lord a shout of praise in his house today. Hallelujah. Romans 10 and 17 says, Faith comes through hearing the word of God. Pastor, I don't need to come to church. I can stay home and read my Bible and pray. Yes, you ought to. Read your Bible and you ought to pray. But the word itself says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. Faith comes by hearing the We not only need to read the word of God. We need to hear the man of God expound the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when he does, faith arises in our heart. It inspires us to live the word of God. Well, the first purpose of the word is inspiration. The second one is Information. The Word of God is not just for inspiration. It's also for information. Psalm 119, verse 103 and through 105. How sweet are your words to my taste. Oh, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. And it is a light to my path. I remember many years ago now, I bought a little car. And I started having trouble with the car. It started making this knocking noise. And the lifter started rattling. It was a pretty new car, and it shouldn't be doing that. And I got alarmed. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to put a new motor in this thing. So after I tried everything else, I, I finally read the instruction book. And I looked in the instruction book, and in the instruction or the owner's manual, it said to put 5W40 oil in the car. Every car I'd ever had up until that time had 10W40. I'm not much on cars, don't know that much about cars. You know what, 5W, 10W, 20W, 40W, you know. A W here, W there, everywhere, WW. I hadn't read the owner's manual, didn't know, you know, I just did what I've always done, you know. So I drained all the 10W40 motor oil out of that little car and I replaced it with 5W40 motor oil in that little car and the banging and the clanging and the lifter rattling and all of that went away. You see, the information that I needed was right at my fingertips but I was too lazy to read the manual. How many understand that God's Word is our owner's manual for life and all the information that we need to live our lives is recorded in the Word of God? And yet our lives hiss and bang and clang and knock and ping because we fail to inform ourselves. Oh, the Word of God. God says do it this way, but we've never read the book. We just do it the same old way we've always done it. I'm telling you, the information to live your life is found in the Word of God. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, God said, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And yet, friend, the knowledge is made available to us, but we're just too lazy to open the book. 
A man died and willed just his Bible to his son. All his son got was his father's Bible. The son was bitter and angry and resentful. And he lived his life in a miserable state of unforgiveness. Years later, the son died. And when his family was going through their thing, through his things, they found the old Bible that his father had given to him years ago. And they opened the Bible and a piece of paper fell out. And it was a deposit slip made out to him in an account opened in his name by his father years earlier for one half million Wealth lay just inside the book his father left him. But he had never opened up the book to discover the treasure. Oh, oh, what treasure, what wealth lies within the pages of God's holy book. Oh, friend, and yet few ever discover or experience it. I like what somebody said. Somebody said a a Bible in the hand is worth two in the bookshelf. (laughs) Romans 11 and 33 says, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, they said of Jesus in John 7 and 46, No man ever spake like this man. We're talking about the purpose of the Word of God today. Oh, it is for inspiration. It is for information. And and the third thing is for introspection. Introspection. Nothing, friend, reveals what's on the inside of us. Like the word. Our text said that the word is given for reproof. Another word is rebuke. Friends, sometimes the word inspires us, and other times it rebukes and corrects and chastises us. The word of God is like a mirror. Like a mirror. You know, when a, I'm going to pick on the ladies, all right, and then I'll, you can throw stuff at me, but you know, when ladies are, you know, and they're teenagers and they're young, 20s and 30s maybe or whatever, you know, they love the makeup mirror, you know. And, man, the more lights around that mirror, the, the better, man. I mean, just the more there is, the better. And the older she gets, the more of those light bulbs she unscrews. <laughs> the Word of God is like a mirror. How many understand mirrors don't lie? They don't flatter. And they don't cover anything up. They simply reflect the true image that stands before it. And thus it is with the Word of God. Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than a surgeon's scalpel. It can cut between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is open and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. Friend, when we look into the Word of God, it's like looking into a mirror. Mirrors don't lie. Mirrors don't flatter. Mirrors simply reflect that that's standing before us. D.L. Moody said the Bible will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. How often have people told me on the way out of church, Pastor, your sermon today was just like you had been at our house. or Your sermon today was just like you had our house bugged this week and you preached about what went on. 
I've had countless of people ask me, did you talk to somebody about me this week? Did somebody tell you something? And of course the answer is always no. But God knows. God knows. And His Word rebukes us when we need it. Let me tell you something. I have never designed a sermon to get somebody. I've never designed a sermon to get somebody. I've never tried to give some kind of subliminal message. I wonder what he really means. I mean what I say. I'm not smart enough to do any subliminal stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm an easy book. I wonder what he really thinks. No, he really thinks what he just said. He said what he really thinks. Never, never tried to get somebody in a sermon, never put some kind of subliminal message in, in, in my message or tried to send a personal message to somebody while I was up here behind the pulpit. And friend, if it ever appears that way, it's probably just because you are under conviction. <laughs> or you are looking for something that's just not there. The Word of God tells it like it is. Oh, it is not politically correct. Oh, it could care less about who it makes uncomfortable. And it debates no one. Talking about the purpose of the Word of God today, I'm giving you five of them. Number one is inspiration. Number two is information. Number three is introspection. And number four is instruction. Back to our text, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Say profitable. It is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching or instructing. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here, the word instruction is used twice in one verse. Doctrine or teaching, the same as instructing. And then actually using the term instruction. Friend, one of the major purposes of the Word of God is for instruction. The Bible is a how-to book. It's a how-to book. Whatever you need to know how to do is found in this book right here. It'll teach you how to have a good marriage. The Bible is a how-to book on how to have a good marriage. And friend, when one out of two marriages today are ending in divorce, those of us that are married ought to be studying the scriptures about marriage. And those of us who are pastors ought to be teaching and instructing and preaching on the subject of marriage quite often. Let me just give you just a real quick marriage seminar this morning, all right? Eight things the Bible teaches us about marriage. Number one, it's sacred. Marriage is sacred. Marriage was ordained by God. It is a union between one man and one woman. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I don't know how you fellas think about it, but I'm glad. (laughs) Genesis 2 and 22, God made woman and brought her to the man. Second thing about marriage should be separated from the rest of the family. Marriage should be separated from the rest of the family. Mark uh, 10 and verse 7, and a man shall leave, say leave. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave, say cleave, cleave. 
and cleave to his wife. You see, when a, when, when a child leaves home to marry, the parents ought to break their plate. There are some cultures that literally, and I was at actually at an American wedding one time at the reception when the mama got up and broke her son's plate. You see, problems arise in the marriage when the in-laws and the outlaws begin to meddle too much or when the kids are too dependent on their parents. Leave and cleave. Third thing about marriage it ought to be self-sacrificing. Marriage should not be a 50-50 proposition. It ought to be 100-100. The Bible teaches us to place the needs and the wants and desires of others ahead of our own. This will include our mates. But my needs aren't being met, Pastor. Let me tell you something. If you'll meet your partner's needs... The Bible says give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Stop focusing on the fact that your needs are not getting met and start meeting the needs of your spouse. And that's a principle of the Word of God. It will come back to you. Fourth thing about marriage, it ought to be sexual. Yeah, I said it, sexual. (laughs) I remember several years ago, one night I... Came into the bedroom and I had two aspirin and a glass of water. I said, here, honey, here's two aspirin and a glass of water. She said, well, honey, I don't have a headache. I said, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) Hey, I'm a pastor, not a priest. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 through 5. Because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's as much a part of the Bible as John 3.16. What does Paul say about sex and marriage right here in this little passage? Well, the first thing he says, and he says that the husband and the wife ought to fulfill their partner's sexual needs. Ah, my needs aren't being met. It ain't about your needs. It's about your partner's needs. Make sure your partner, your partner's needs are met. It's what the Bible says. Number two, right there in that passage, it said the husband and the wife gives authority of their bodies over to their mates. Pastor, my husband can't keep his hands off me. He can do whatever he wants. It's his. Amen. That's what he said. My body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my wife. Her body doesn't belong to her. It belongs to me. I'm her husband. 
Don't belong to anybody else. You keep your cotton picking hands off of her. In fact, I've got to be quite honest. I was kind of... A while ago, I was kind of looking over here, and I was kind of liking what was standing there. Amen. I won't tell you the rest. Number three, he said, neither partner refuses the other partner sex when the partner desires it. Didn't say you got to be in the mood. Doesn't say you both got to agree. Says that if he wants physical relationship, then you submit to him. Means if she wants it, you submit. Amen? It's good. It's the word of God. You see, the three biggest problems in marriage today is lack of communication, financial problems, and sexual problems. And the Bible addresses all three of these. We're talking about the purpose of the Word of God today. Notice the next thing the Bible says about marriage. It ought to be soul sharing. Number five, soul sharing. Your marriage partner ought to be your soulmate, ought to be your best friend. You ought to be able to share your deepest, darkest secrets with one another and hold these in confidence. Hear me. You should never share anything about your mate that would embarrass or humiliate them. Ever. 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 Number six about marriage, single-minded. The two becomes one. Friend, you ought not lead two separate lives. Waving at each other on the way, you know. No, single-minded. Oh, oh, the two of you ought to be so welded together. You're like peanut butter and jelly. One's not good without the other. Number seven, marriage ought to be sovereignly centered Christ ought to be the center of your marriage. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. The Bible says that we ought not, we ought not uh, join ourselves, we ought not be married to an unbeliever. It also says if we've already done it, we've already made the mistake, two wrongs don't make a right, keep it, it's all right. And, uh, the Bible says that the, uh, uh, the unbeliever is uh, sanctified by the believer. So if you've already messed up there, don't undo it. But if you haven't, the Bible says that we should not join ourselves with unbelievers. The, the wisdom writer wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that two are better than one. And he said a threefold cord is not easily broken. And friend, Christ ought to be the center cord that wraps itself and entwines itself around the husband and the wife. Uh, oh, thus making the bond of marriage simply unbreakable. And the eighth thing about marriage is it ought to be supreme in importance. Supreme in importance. Friend, my marriage is more important to me than my ministry. I'm going to tell you something. I love you, but I love her better. I love her more. Amen? Amen? I may be here seven years. I might be here ten years. I might be here twenty years. I might be here thirty years. Someday I won't be here. Someday you won't be calling me pastor, but I'll still be with her. Amen. My marriage is more important to me than my ministry. My marriage is more important to me than my parents. My marriage is more important to me than my kids. My marriage is more important to me than my grandkids. Oh, that's almost hard to say. 
My marriage is more important to me than my friends. Amen. My relationship with God is the only thing that comes before my wife. Period. Leave and cleave till death do us part. Subject today is the purpose of the word. One of the main purpose of the word is instruction. The Bible is a how-to book. It, it tells us how to have a good marriage. Oh, oh, it tells us how to parent our children. And by the way, parents are supposed to be in charge of their children, not children in charge of their parents. I can't get little Johnny to do thus and so, I hear parents say today. Yes, you can. You are in charge. Or you ought to be. Amen. Proverbs 23 and 13. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Hear me this morning. I don't read anywhere in the Bible about time out. Let me tell you what time out was when I was growing up. When I was growing out, growing up, time out meant that time when I was unconscious, when my dad had knocked the thunder out of me. I'm jesting a little bit this morning. The Bible didn't say anything about time out, but it does talk about spanking. Amen. It does. And I told you this before, but it bears repeating. God even gave your child a place to be spanked, and He even split it so that you wouldn't have to worry about breaking it. Let me give you some good admonition this morning. Conquer your child early. Oh, we better put all the trinkets and all the stuff and all mama's little plant pretties and grandma's pretties up. Why? We didn't. We beat the thunder out of their little hands. Probably child abuse today. Let me tell you something. We didn't have to do it very often, just about twice. And not these little, you know, I'm going to give you a spanking. That ain't even a love pat. If it ain't red when you're done, it ain't spanking. Let me tell you something. You're not going to beat your kid all the time. About two or three really good spankings in the right place. Not talking about child abuse. Not talking about, you know, a literal beating. But, but whipping them until it, until it really does hurt them. There is some red there. And they are screaming bloody murder. Two or three times. Two or three times. You give them this little thing here, you know, bull. Two or three times. I mean just really good whippings. Two or three times. And then all you got to do is threaten them. And they remember. Amen. The Bible is a book of instruction. It tells us how to have a good marriage. It tells us how to raise our kids. It tells us how to be a good employee. It tells us how we ought to be, how we ought to treat our, treat our employees if we're an employer. It, it tells us about how we ought to manage our money. Everybody's bankrupt today. Why? Because they don't read the manual. 
How do we ought to manage our money? Well, the Bible says we ought to, first of all, we ought to sow some. And then the Bible says then we ought to save some. Then the Bible says we ought to spend some. And then the Bible says we ought to share some. I'm talking about the purpose of the word. I've given you five of them. Inspiration, information, introspection, instruction. And finally and quickly this morning, insulation. Insulation. Friend, insulation helps keep out the cold. And friend, when we first come to Christ, our hearts are on fire. But oh, immediately the devil comes to us with the cares and the temptations and the enticements of the world. Oh, listen friend, fires that are left unattended will always die down and eventually will go out. Only when a fire is stoked, only when fresh wood is placed upon the fire will it continue to burn. Friend, the Word acts as an insulation around our heart. The Word guards our heart and helps keep out the cold. Hear me this morning. People that grow cold in their soul toward God are people that have not insulated their heart with the Word of God. Oh, Psalm 119.11, Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I would not sin against you. Amen. It's an insulation, friend. It keeps out the cold. If you're cold and indifferent in your soul today, one time you were ablaze, your heart was on fire for God, but today you find your heart is cold. Oh, listen, you have removed the Word of God because the Word of God serves as an insulation, and insulation keeps out the cold. Talking this morning about the purpose of the Word of God. If the worship team could get back in place this morning. The first one is inspiration. 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 Amen. Let me let me give you some more. I'm, I may be really digging myself a hole today, but let me give you let me let me give you another some more permission this morning. If you come to New Bethel and you don't get inspired on Sunday morning, go somewhere else. I'm not asking you to leave. I'm just saying I'm giving you permission. Amen. Go somewhere. You ought to be. You know, I had a man come to my church one time, been coming for a little while, and he told me after church one day, he said, Pastor, it's so wonderful to come to your church. It's so wonderful to feel better when I leave than when I came. I said, what are you talking about? Isn't that the way it is everywhere? He said, no, no, no. He said, where well, I've been going to church, he said, man, he said, man, I'd feel okay when I got there, and I'd feel beat down, and I'd feel really, really bad and depressed when I left. But he said, I could come in here depressed or down or discouraged, and before you're done with me, I, I'm in I'm encouraged. I'm lifted up. Amen. I believe the Word of God ought to be inspiring. Amen. And if the man of God doesn't have any inspiration, if he doesn't have any passion, amen, if he's not excited, if he doesn't believe in what he's talking about and doesn't live what he's talking about, I'd find me another man of God. Inspiration. Information. Introspection. Instruction. And insulation. Thank God for the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We may have some videos in our church. We may have some programs in our church. We may have some things in our church. But I want to tell you something. The Word of God will always be central. Amen? Amen. Did you know there's a purpose why that the pulpit is in the middle of the building? You say, well, that's so everybody you know, can you know, see whether you're... You know, it's just a balanced thing. Well, that makes that makes sense. But there's other churches that don't put their pulpits in the center of their... They're over in the corner somewhere. The pulpit is in the center of the 
auditorium this morning for a purpose, not just so that it's more balanced, but it's because that is the central part. That's what everything flows out of. That is the major thing that this church is about. Amen? Amen. The preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. It has been, it is, and as long as I'm your pastor, it will continue to be. God, give us the Word of God today. Amen. (laughs) Would you stand with me this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You got something, Pastor Carl? Amen. Something upbeat. Where you at, man?